Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now, here's today's message. Well, welcome back to our series. We're excited today um, about this one. This is actually the last installment of this uh, series, Relationship Goals, that we've been working through. And and if you missed the other weeks, or this is your first time, uh, they are online, and you can check them out. And um, we just... uh, we believe that it's important to provide an oasis for people, for marriages and families and individuals uh, to come and, and learn because we all can learn. We all are in a place in life where we can learn more, we could uh, receive more from God, we could grow more in Him. And so that's really what we do in these very practical series. It's really just to uh, provide a place to grow and learn and be better, and um, we can all be better. And so um, this has been a really awesome series. It's been really fun. It's been a long time since we've done a relationship series because, as Pastor Josh has mentioned, the first two relationship series that we did at Vertical Church, we um, like doubled our children's ministry nine months later. And so um, it was a really hectic time of baby showers um, that summer. So, um, but yeah, it's been a really good series. So uh, if you're joining us again, this is week four and we are talking about covenant keeping relationships today. Um, We've been looking at four qualities that we believe that God presents in scripture uh, in the Bible to uh, to really give us the best opportunity at the best marriage and the best relationships that we can have. And so uh, he provides us with tools and resources through scripture. And we've been looking at some of those um, that we think are just really, really important and really helpful. Um, as followers of Jesus, we actually um, tend to have some goals for our life and for our relationships and our families that maybe the average uh, regular person doesn't even think about. Um, and so we can we can go out and get some really good, great books and um, a lot of good pop psychology out there that helps build us up and, and show us a, um, things about ourselves. But ultimately, we can grow more through following God's word, um, exponentially more, uh, just in changing maybe one of the aspects of our relationships or our family Uh, that we didn't even realize um, we were neglecting. And so this is an opportunity for us to all grow together. Um, So if you've been tracking with us, you know that we've talked about uh, relationships that are Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking. That was last week. That's a really fun one. And this week we're going to talk about covenant-keeping. So let's say those together because we've been practicing because this needs to be like stuck in our brain. Ready? So together we are Christ-centered, Mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping. I can't say it. Um, Covenant-keeping. And um, really, Christ-centered is more than just what we do when we call ourselves a Christian. It's different. It's not just saying you're a Christian. It's keeping Christ at the center of all your decisions and all your relationships. Everything revolves around him when you're Christ-centered. Mission-driven, we said that uh, if you have a purpose together, then you have... Uh, you have a future and you're building a future together and you have purpose and calling from the Lord. And it's important to be devil kicking and on defense because the enemy wants to take out all the good things that God has built in our life. The enemy is not interested in you being Christ-centered or having a mission and being successful in that. And so he is constantly fighting in even the small ways against us. And we have to be devil-kicking in our marriages and our relationships 
uh, to defend what God has put together, what God has united in marriage. And today we're talking about covenant keeping. So we're going to find out a little bit about what that means. So a lot of times we look at uh, couples, other couples, maybe in public or maybe on social media, maybe in movies, which is really just, that's not a good idea, so don't worry about them. Uh, they are not real people, in case you uh, forgot. And so, and social media is eh, kind of sketch, like you don't want to necessarily depend on that either. Uh, but sometimes we like to, well, we don't like it, but we end up comparing ourselves to other people's relationships, other people's marriages, because we see them together and we're like, oh my you know, I want to be just like that. Or maybe you're single and dating, or you're dating and you're not married yet, and you're like, that is what my marriage is going to be like. They are amazing. They are so tuned into each other. They're just so in tune. It's just so amazing. Um, and we want to be just like them. But then we get married and we realize we're not just like them. We're not just like what we had in our mind about how perfect they were. It is not going to go that smoothly. It is not going to be that perfect. Um, and sometimes things don't end up the way that we thought that they would. Amen. If you're married or you've ever dated anyone in a serious relationship, you know it just doesn't always go the way that you thought it would. Um, and it seems like opposites tend to attract, right? And when you're dating, that is really cute and adorable about the other person, right? So you're, uh, you're, you're attracted to them. They're so cute because he is just so laid back. He's so calm and peaceful. He just brings my stress down. And then you get married, and some of, sometimes that quality can become obnoxious because you're like, will you get a job? Will you wash the dishes at least once, right? So this laid back person that you thought was so cute and adorable, try getting married, and then you realize it is not cute and adorable anymore. Uh, you want a go-getter. You want things happening. You want to, you know, you don't want to have to do everything for the other person. Um, how many of you, when it comes to money, you're a saver? Savers? Yeah. Everything has a, like, you know, you have a, a certain place that it goes in the budget, and you don't exceed, and um, how many of you wait all week for that paycheck so you can buy yourself a well-deserved prize at Target? How many of you are, are that person, right? Opposites, opposites attract. How many of you are like me and you're always 30 minutes early to everywhere you're supposed to be? 30 minutes early, I hate being late. I will be waiting in every parking lot in the world waiting to go inside for my appointment. How many of you married someone who views time as more flexible, more optional? It's kind of a like 30 minutes before or 30 minutes after kind of window, just somewhere in that hour. Um, how many of those are very, of you are very organized? Everything has a right place, not just a place. Everything has a correct place. Other places are not okay. Everything has a correct place. And how many of you married someone who's more creative about that? We'll just put it nicely. They're more creative about where things go. As long as nobody's tripping over it, it's fine where I put it. And um, so opposites attract, and then we get married, and we feel like opposites attack, right? It feels like opposites start attacking. And often we're different, and it's okay because we were made that way. And probably, if you do feel like you're opposite of your spouse in some ways and you are attracted to one another, that's probably a God-ordained thing. 
but the enemy can use it to trip you up and make you bitter or angry towards that person. Uh, but it's probably actually a God-orchestrated thing that you're different because no, none of us need to live with someone exactly like us. That would be a train wreck, right? And so we do not need to self-indulge that much living with someone just like us. And so it's a good thing that we're different. But sometimes we end up married and we get down the road a little bit and we say, how come we're struggling so bad? Why are we struggling? I did not think we would end up here. I never saw myself yelling those words across the room. I never thought that I would look at that person and feel so angry. We feel like we're attacking each other because we're different and, and things didn't go the way that we thought they would. Well, we're talking about covenant keeping and that's kind of a weird word. We don't use the word covenant very often anymore. Um, but in Old Testament times, it was a very important word and it's a very important word to understand our spiritual um, walk with the Lord. And so we're talking about that today. Um, and how do we live this idea of being covenant keeping? How do we live that out? So we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 19, and um, we're going to start in verse 3. Is that there? There we go. So uh, this is a conversation that some Pharisees were having with Jesus. And it says, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, one thing about Pharisees is they really looked for loopholes, and it sounds like they were looking for loopholes right here about their marriage, right? It says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh, right? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And we've been talking about how God unites and how the enemy seeks to divide what God has united. So what does it mean to be covenant-keeping in our relationships? Where there's three approaches that we can take to marriage. And all of us, uh, in our approach, we will fall under one of these three categories when we make a choice about relationships. There's the casual approach. There's a contractual approach. And there's a covenantal approach to marriage. The casual approach is uh, that marriage really doesn't matter. It's just a piece of paper, something you're going to try out. It's a casual approach to marriage. It's also that leads over into sex. Sex is not a big deal with this person because it's just casual. We're just trying it out. We're just practicing, seeing if this will work out long term. It's like saying, as long as two consenting adults agree, then it feels good and we're not hurting anybody, then no problem. It's a very 21st century approach that we see a lot of people take. And we can't expect, um, they will say, you can't expect me to go without this. This is more convenient, right? And since marriage doesn't matter, then what happens is two people meet they decide they like each other, maybe even love each other. We're still seeing about that. And they might move in together and live together <clears throat> because maybe they feel like they're married in their hearts. So it's a casual approach. It's convenient. It saves money. Everything is uh, easier and less expensive when you live under the same house and you share everything, and we're testing things out. But there was a Barna Research 
a study done in 2017 that said that 57 people said that they currently or previously have lived with a boyfriend or girlfriend. 57%. That's pretty, um, that's a lot. That's a lot of people taking a casual approach to marriage. Um, And it's like saying, we're committing um, to each other. Yeah, we're serious, but we're going to leave our options open because this might not work out. And um, what happens is uh, as you move in together and you live together, you start to do married things, right? Wink, wink, married things. Um, You say, okay, I'm going to keep my stuff at your place. Probably end up sleeping in the same bed because why would we have two beds? And and maybe even uh, fool around, maybe share a toothbrush holder, maybe share a sandwich, maybe share a car, and even share bills. Some people think, well, we'll just we'll just both pay for that together. But then when they break up and they meet someone else, and they decide, well, I think this is the one. I think I'm going to get married then it's really tough because for years they've been living with multiple people, trying it out, they play house, and they practice divorce. So this casual approach to marriage basically ends up helping you practice divorce. And down the road, when you do decide that you want to commit to this person, there's this option kind of hanging out there that's like, ah, oh, this might not work out because it didn't work out with other people, and sometimes that just happens. So there's an option. There's a way out of this. Then there's the contractual approach to marriage, and this is like signing a marriage contract. And most of us, well, all of us actually, I don't in a, in your state that you got married and you had you did have to sign a piece of paper, and that's actually a really good thing. Um, It is a proof to the system that you are a married couple, and it gives you certain rights and um, also obligations to each other. But some people can take marriage uh, in a contractual agreement type of approach, which actually leads to the idea, because contracts are generally temporary, right? So generally it's to say, I trust, uh, if I trust you, I might just kind of shake on it and we're good, we don't even have to question each other, but if I don't trust you, I might ask you to sign here to promise that you are going to fulfill your end of the bargain, right? So if I'm a a landlord and I rent my house to someone, I'm going to have them sign a contract. We're going to sign a contract together saying, here's what I'm responsible for, here's what I'm willing to do, and you're responsible for this. And if you don't hold up your end of the agreement, if you don't pay, then you can't stay. Right? So it's a con- contract. And some of us approach, some people approach marriage this way. As long as you don't betray me and you don't hurt me and you make me happy, then you're holding up your end of the bargain. This is what we agreed upon. And as long as you deliver, then I'm in. Let's sign away. We're good. But if I'm not happy, and you know, maybe that's a kind of a real lightweight way of saying. There are real struggles in marriage. There are real days of not happiness sometimes. And if we approach marriage with a contractual kind of approach, then when we're not happy, then we're out. We're done. This didn't really work out. You've changed. I've changed. This didn't work out. We're not the same people that signed this contract, so we're done. But then there's the covenant approach, and that's what I really want you to um, 
to hear and understand and take to heart today because it's a very important idea, this idea of a covenant. Um, it is not based on mutual distrust. It's not temporary. It's not motivi motivated by self-interest or self-preservation. But a covenantal approach to marriage, as God designed it, is based on a mutual commitment to each other. A mutual commitment. It's an unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love for each other. It means I may not always be happy. I may not always get what I want. You may let me down sometimes, but we're committed um, and we have decided to approach marriage with a covenantal approach. And the word covenant actually comes from um, the word bereath, which is uh, in the Bible, it, it means a cutting or a shedding of blood has happened on an agreement. And when you see a covenant established uh, in the Old Testament, there's always going to be a shedding of blood. Um, and this is kind of gross, but just kind of go with me. Uh, what might happen is you might have two people and they're going to agree on something. They're going to um, have a covenant between each other. And so they might take a bull and they would actually cut it in half. Okay, they would actually shed the blood, cut this bull in half, or maybe they would cut um, a lamb um, or whatever animal they were available to make this covenant with. And then they, so they would cut it, and then the blood would flow, and they would walk around the two pieces of the animal, two pieces of the bull, and they would say, if I do not keep my side of this oath, this is what will happen to me. So it's a very serious, um, important agreement, a covenant that they, that they would come to. And... Um, it would say, what happened to this bull is going to happen to me if I do not keep up my end of this agreement of this oath, okay? If you go to, um, if you were to go to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, um, they would actually um, have the bride and groom together uh, and have this powerful covenantal ceremony where they would actually cut, the priest would cut their hands, um, and then you would put their hands together bind their hands together and um, their blood would mingle. And it was a symbolic demonstration of we are making covenant with, we are entering into covenant with each other. We are one. We are joining together as one person. Not two people doing their own thing, but we are coming together as one in covenant. And um, in Leviticus, we um, read that the life of the person is in the blood. So that's what, that's what this comes from. That's why, that's why all the blood, because it is the life of a person according to Scripture. And they would exchange their covenant vows before uh, God and family, and then they would enter into what was called the chuppah. <laughs> Did I say that right? <laughs> you have to kind of get a cat, like, you know, hairball kind of thing going on. Um, but this was the bridal suite. This was the honeymoon suite. Um, and the people would be partying outside at, at the wedding. The ceremony's over. The bride, the virgin bride, the virgin groom enter into the chuppah. And they there would do what married people do um, on their honeymoon. 
And everybody, it was kind of awkward because they're probably two teenagers and everybody's waiting outside. And then as they would come out, there would be a celebration because they have just physically united this marriage, this covenant together. They have united as one. It was a very important thing. And I think that, I know that that's really an awkward um, situation. <clears throat> Most of us can't imagine being uh, our wedding going down like that. Um, but I also think that we've lost a lot of that, um, that covenant moment, that, that, uh, the weightiness of that decision before God and family. Um, we've lost a lot of that because many of us probably didn't really fully consider the weight of that decision on that day. The weight, not in a bad way, but in a, as a blessing. Like, I'm receiving this amazing gift made just for me, and we're sharing this together, and we're uniting as one. And so it's really a beautiful thing, although terribly awkward for um, our day and age. We wouldn't do that. Um, but you have to remember, um, and what you have to understand, is that marriage does matter. That's why this was really important. And so does sex. Sex was a gift given to people from God. And so it's very, very important, this decision uh, to unite with this other person and become one. Marriage matters to God. We see it in Scripture over and over and over. Um, and uh, we have in Hebrews 13... Uh, there's a verse that says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. So marriage should be honored by all. That means if you're a kid, you honor marriage. That means if you're a teenager with raging hormones, you honor marriage. You honor uh, the marriage bed and keep it pure. Uh, that means if you're 47 and divorced, and maybe you kept pure before, but maybe you've gone through that relationship and now you think it doesn't matter. No, all people, all are to keep the marriage bed pure. All are to honor marriage. Um, and a lot of times what happens um, and what we've kind of had to reevaluate as a Christian culture is this idea that what we do to our children um, is we tell them, no, 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 no. And then they get married and we're like, yes. And that first, you know, experience with their, their new spouse is not exactly what they thought it would be because we've been telling them it's bad, 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 bad. Now it's good. Go have fun. It's really awkward, really difficult for them to transition out of that no, 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 no. Yes. And so what we have to start transitioning, and I, I do hear families talking about this now, which is amazing, um, is that we have to start teaching our children. We have to start having real conversations. We have to start having real, um, using real words and real um, stories. And we have to say to them, yes, it's for you, but wait. Yes, but wait. Because what's going to happen when we're saying no, 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 no? Well, how many of you have a child that sometimes rebels? Doesn't do what you said, right? No, 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 no. Maybe today means, uh, if I want to. I'm mad at them. I'm going to do whatever I want. So we're creating this sort of, we're sort of poisoning their view 
of that intimacy that is a gift from God because we're saying, no, 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 yes. And what we need to say is, yes, but wait. Wait. There's a moment where you're going to stand together with that other person before God, family, friends, and you're going to declare your love for one another. You're going to declare your commitment. You're going to join in covenant with this person. And it's a beautiful thing. And you, you won't believe how awesome this can be, but you need to wait because it's not time. And so that is the covenantal approach. Um, it's not the casual approach of, well, we'll just get married and we haven't really held any of that in honor or purity. And so it's just a piece of paper. And so then we go on our honeymoon and it's just another day at the office because it's no different than what we've been living um, as together. And so we want to have a Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping relationship. These are the things that will keep us in that holy marriage, that holy covenant that God has designed for his people uh, to have. Now, I will acknowledge that for some people, this sounds really cute and sweet and easy and maybe even old-fashioned to you because maybe you're saying, well, you don't know my marriage and it's really complicated or you don't know my past and so that must not be for me. That must be for the young people who have not made mistakes yet. But let me tell you, um, I know that you're dealing maybe with really massive betrayals. I know that you may be hurt beyond measure, that there's probably dysfunction and pain somewhere in your relationship experience with people. And it's, I want you to know, because I think it's important um, as pastors for us to say this to you, not in a way that downplays what you're going through, but to say it's complicated for us too. It's complicated for us, too. We also have crazy people around us. We also have crazy family members. We also are raising a lot of children. (laughs) Raising four kids does not make marriage easy. Our schedule is very difficult. And has a lot of interruptions and it's very crowded. And there have been as many spiritual attacks on our marriage and our family as there have been on yours. We all understand that it's complicated sometimes. And that it's not easy. But the thing you have to remember is that while you may feel like you run out of love sometimes, God never runs out of love. He is our constant source of love and identity and acceptance and warmth for when things grow cold. We can turn to him and we have that warmth that we've talked about. And you might say it's easy for us, but it isn't because we also have a complicated way, just like you. And sometimes you might say, well, I don't feel like being nice anymore. I don't feel like forgiving this person again. I don't feel like working this out. But how many other areas of life can we just approach and say, I don't really feel like feeding the baby today. (laughs) Because I don't feel like feeding the baby every day. But we have to do it right. Um, We might say, I don't really feel like going to work. 
So I'm just going to stay home. No, we don't say that. We don't say, I don't feel like paying my taxes. I'm going to just pass on that this year. No, we all have things that we don't feel like doing, but so that we can continue to be an upstanding citizen of the United States of America and not have our children taken away, we do the things that we don't feel like every day. And so when we choose a Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping marriage, we choose that every day. We go into every day, whether it's complicated or not, and we say, I choose to have a good marriage. I am choosing to have a good marriage. Pastor Josh and I choose to have a good marriage. It doesn't just come easy. We choose it. But I think a lot of times the problem starts for people, and I completely understand this because I've been here before, misunderstanding the actual character and nature of our Heavenly Father. So many of us really don't know him like we think we do. And we filter our relationship and our approach to family and marriage um, through this idea of how we see God. So if we see him casually, like it's no big deal, it's a good idea, yeah, he's up there, we're good, then we're going to approach our family and our relationships the same way. We're going to approach it casually. Nothing means anything. Nothing should be expected of me. I shouldn't have to do any hard things. Everything is fine. I just need to be happy. I'm fine. Or we might have a view of God, and this is where I really struggled for a long time, that he has a contractual relationship with us. That he's offered me a bargain, and I can take it, but I have to hold up my end of the deal. That grace is available to me for as long as I can keep up my side of the agreement. And so we obviously cannot always hold up our end of the deal. We often make mistakes. We often fail. Um, And we don't feel like we can go to him and say, I really messed up and I need you. So instead we avoid him because we don't want to feel ashamed and we don't feel like we're worthy of his love because we didn't hold up our end of the deal because we have a contractual approach to our relationship with God. But our relationship with God is also covenantal. It is covenantal. It is the first relationship that was ever established was between us and God. Before Adam and Eve were together as a couple, they had relationship with the Lord, with their heavenly father, and it was a covenantal relationship. Uh, back in the Old Testament, um, many of you um, probably know what, what the Passover was. Um, right now, it's like a thing on our calendar, or if you have a Jewish um, tradition in your family, you may be more familiar um, with those um, traditions. But in the Old Testament, the Passover was actually a time when they would go out and they would put blood over the doorpost of their homes. And that was their covenant. It was a covenant of blood, just like we've talked about. It was a reminding of whose they were, of what their relationship with the Father was, and they would do that. And But that contract, sorry, not contract, that covenant was temporary because we know that when Jesus came on the scene, when Jesus came to the earth, that he was the Lamb of God, that he was slain, that his blood was shed 
so that we could be united with him again without having to kill bulls and kill lambs and just put blood over our doorpost. It, he was the bereave, the cutting that was happening for our sins, to forgive us of our sins. And our relationships are going to, choose, are going to be as good as we choose them to be. Our relationship with God will be as good as we choose it to be. He does not force his relationship on us, but he draws us to him, and we have a choice that we have to make. He will not just fix everything for you when it doesn't work out and you're disengaged from the relationship. It's a relationship like every other relationship in that we, we speak to him on a regular basis. We listen to him on a regular basis. We receive love from him and we return love to him. It's a relationship. And Jesus was the ultimate covenant relationship that we look to because it changed everything. His sacrifice changed everything. <clears throat> and I just want to, um, we're coming to a close, but I just want to, uh, I guess, assure you, each of you, about those complications that you feel in your relationship with your spouse or your relationship, um, even with friends um, that's broken <clears throat> or maybe your relationship with God the Father that feels broken I want to assure you that there is healing and there is new beginning with God that when Jesus shed his blood in the new covenant for us that that made that kind of love and that kind of grace available to all of us every day. And so maybe you listen to this, um, you listen to me talk this morning and you're thinking, okay, well, you don't understand how many mistakes I've made. You don't understand the mistake I made last night. We didn't really get off on the right foot in our marriage. So all those other things you've been talking about, I'm probably going to implement those, but I'll probably just have to skip out on this one. And I want you to know that God does not put a time stamp on his grace for you. He doesn't say, well, good luck, because you missed your opportunity. But every day is an opportunity for a new beginning, a new covenant with him, and it's available for you. It's available for you to begin today to walk this out fully to choose to have a good marriage by choosing to be covenant-keeping in your marriage. Or maybe it's your own individual relationship with, with God the Father that you feel like, I've really messed that up, and I don't think he's going to take me back again. Maybe you have a contractual uh, view of the Father. But I promise you that that's only... That is the way you think because someone else has mistreated you and not treated you well in a relationship. And you have taken on that as your, your understanding of God the Father because he is not like that. And he can transform that way of thinking to where that you feel like nothing will ever separate you from him again. That is a real feeling to have with God the Father. That is a real kind of relationship to have with him where you don't feel guilty and you don't feel shame every time you're in his presence. 
but you feel love and acceptance and identity and like there's no other place you'd rather be but with him in that moment. That is very real. And you can have that. Everyone can have that relationship. So today, uh, Pastor Josh is going to come up and we're going to enter into a time of uh, communion. And um, we just really thought that this would be a beautiful way to establish that new beginning and that new covenant with the Lord, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's just in your own life and the way that you just really want a new beginning, that is available for you. If you feel broken because of past relationships, things done to you, maybe not even things that you feel like you're guilty of, but things that were done to you that messed you up, there is available to you this morning a new beginning, a new covenant with the Father. Marriages, there is a new covenant available to you. You can begin to walk this out in newness. You can be a different person with that other person too. The two of you together as one walking out a different reality in your marriage. That is available to you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.